Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. From the Fifth Quarter Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. And now, your host, Steve Collins. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Coach Unplugged. So excited you decided to join us. Before we jump in, a couple things. First of all, we'd love if you'd leave a five-star review. We, those, big, those reviews are really big to us. Also, go over and check out our sponsors. Dr. Dish, the number one shooting machine on the market. So easy to set up, easy to use, will make your team, you know, will make your team better shooters. I can guarantee that. And not necessarily scores, but the great thing is they've they've dealt with that problem. And now you have trainers there. You have things on the Dr. Dish. It will actually help you become a better scorer. So go over and check it out. Mention Coach Unplugged. They'll give you $350 off. Also, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. Right now, we're, we got a quarterly membership. We're trying something new here. We think it's a great innovation for all of you. Maybe jump in for three months and, and, and kick the tires around. Um, we believe in teachhoops.com so much that we have a 14-day free trial right now. No one else has that. No one else, had, no one else are you going to get their bat phone and be able to get on a call and help them through. So our roadmap is, is second to none, too. It will walk you through your basketball journey. So come over and check us out at teachhoops.com. Let's head off to the podcast. All right, welcome to Coach Unplugged. I don't know, Coach. Episode something, maybe 1,200 uh but anyway um coach blackford we're gonna um i'm gonna have you kind of introduce yourself kind of tell us about your basketball journey your uh i I always tell people when i tell people i've coached 32 years they look at me like whoa wow that's a lot but coach is a coach for 40 years um so we're long haulers if we can steal from COVID a little bit, we're long haulers. Um, <laughs> we've been in this game a long time, so we've seen it change a lot. But Coach Blackford, I'm going to have you kind of just kind of introduce yourself and then kind of walk us through kind of how you got into coaching. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Coach. Um, so my name's Tom Blackford. Uh, next season will be my 40th consecutive boys varsity basketball season. Um, even though last year was very difficult with COVID, um, where I live in central New York, uh, our county, um, 
finally let us play, and we ended up playing 11 games, which was better than zero games. Which is and what then we, summer, we played zero games. I played zero games last year. Yeah, we got we got 11 games in. Um, and then this summer, we sort of got back to normal. We played in a summer league indoors without masks. We had spectators. And um, so we're hoping that uh, this continues in the fall. We have, we're supposed to have a 20-game schedule again and then playoffs and state championships. So hopefully that's going to happen. Um, I got into coaching because when I was 10 years old, my uh, dad died. He was 42 years old and I was the only child and my mom was awesome. And she got me immediately involved in pop Warner football, bitty basketball, little league baseball, any sport, um, you know, she could find me and get me involved. And she got me involved and she was great. And I met all these really cool people. I met these adults that were teachers and coaches. And right, honestly, when I was 10 years old and I saw the impact that they already had in my life, I wanted to go into teaching and coaching. So I went to high school and uh, then I went to a, a state school, SUNY Cortland, which is big in physical education. And I became a physical education teacher. And I started my first coaching uh, and teaching in 1982. And I had no clue what I was doing. Uh, I knew what I was doing teaching-wise, but with basketball, I mean, I, I played basketball. I was a varsity basketball starter for three years. I, I knew what I was doing, but I didn't know what I was doing. So we think, we, think we, me, we think we know what we're doing, but we really don't. Yeah, I agree. You really don't. You know, and um, so all the older men, uh, coaches in my area mentored me. And the reason they did that is because I worked with them at a uh, basketball camp that was called Golden Valley. And I worked with all these veteran coaches when I was a young guy. And um, they just sort of took me under their wing. And so I stole a little bit from this guy, a little bit from that guy. I went to as many coaching clinics as I could. I bought, I've got a library of DVDs from Championship Production that, you know, someday I hope I can uh, either give away or sell to make a little bit of money. Uh, but anyways, um, so I, I just, I learned and I, you know what, in my 40th year, I still learn. You know, I go to college uh, practices. I have a lot of college coaches in my area. We've got a great coach right here. His name is Matt Langle. Uh, Matt Langle is the Colgate University coach, and I learned from him and his staff. Oh, that's and a so great. Now, that's a great. That's a great. Uh, that's a great school. My um, my son looked at that school. He uh, he's ending up going, yeah. he's going to middle. He's going to Middlebury, which is in Vermont. But um, well, that's a great school too. That's one of the top division. You know, three. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's a great school. Um, but he, he, but, you know, living in Wisconsin and going to Vermont won't be too big of a shock for him. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, so basically now the roles are reversed. I, I mentor tons of coaches in my area. Um, and I did a DVD for championship productions, um, the aggressive one, three, one defense. And that sort of opened doors, uh, for me because I put my contact information and I've had literally thousands of calls over the last six or seven years since the DVD has been out. And I've met coaches from Alaska, Florida, Texas, uh, Wisconsin, California, everywhere. So that sort of opened up another avenue to mentor uh, coaches. And so as I'm finishing my career, um, I still have as much enthusiasm as I did in 1982 and I still love the kids. Um, and so that's sort of uh, where my career has gone in the last 40 years. And 
you know, when you build a program, I've been at two different schools. Uh, the school I'm at uh, back again, uh, Hamilton Central's in the village of Hamilton where Colgate is. Um, next year will be my 26th year coaching at Hamilton. And I coached 14 years at a school in Syracuse called Fayetteville Manlius, which was a big double-A school, the largest school uh, enrollments in our state. And um, I had a great 14-year career there also. So um, I've sort of been around and seen it all and seen every offensive set, every defensive set, every end-of-game situations that you have to you know, be calm and you have to sort of have already thought things out, what you're going to do. And so, um, you know, um, it's, it's, for me, it's been a, it's just been a great, great, uh, career. Okay. So side note on Hamilton, when we went on our tour, they gave us an ice cream sandwich. What ice cream sandwich? What was that? Where was that from when we went to Colgate? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? It's probably, well, there's a couple ice cream. It was like a cookie. It was like a cookie ice cream sandwich thing. It was so good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they've got a lot of great places in Hamilton. Um, Burn Dairy does that. And there's a little place, Maxwell's, it's on uh, the corner right across from the uh, Colgate um, bookstore. Yeah, it might be. It's, I'm sure it's one of those two. But it was like, oh, that sold me on Colgate. I mean, I like Colgate. I even looked at Colgate when I was an undergrad. That's a gorgeous campus. Gorgeous campus. Yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a beautiful campus. It's about a half a mile from... Um, our high school and they've been great to us. And I think in return, I think Hamilton central where I uh, coach and I taught for 20 years, um, teaching 20 years before I finished my career at Faithful Manlius. Um, I, I think we have a great hand in hand relationship with Colgate and uh, the village of Hamilton. Yeah. It's uh, it's not, if I remember correctly, it's not easy to get there. Um, it, it's, I mean, you can fly into the Syracuse airport, and from Syracuse to Hamilton's a little over an hour at the most. Right. Oh, that's not too bad. I just remember maybe coming off the highway, it was like you, you, it took a while to kind of to kind of get in there. Let's uh, let's dive into the one three one. How did you come up with it? I'm a big one three one guy too. Like it. Um, how did you come up with that? It, it, it's interesting. So um, when I I don't know my fourth or fifth year of coaching, um, I was still working basketball camps in the area. And this one camp in particular, I worked for about 20 years, and uh, there was a legendary coach who ran the camp, and he really became a great friend, and he mentored me. And um, actually, I just saw him this past weekend. But so when I was working the camp, when we go back to the dorms and stuff before we went out <laughs> with the coaches, typical uh, of camp. Had left- Typ- typical of camp yeah, work. You, you got know. it. The, the rule was. I don't care what time you get in as long as you're on the court by 9 a.m. So, okay, no problem. But um, I saw this booklet uh, in the dorm, and it was called the 131 defense. So I um, found out who the coach was that had it, and I started talking to him. And I actually, I just, I, I don't know, I just fell in love with it. And so probably uh, about 33 or 34 of my years, I've run the 131 and the last probably 15 years in particular, I we are so aggressive in it. It's really like a 32-minute press for the way I do it, and no one else does it. I haven't seen anyone run it like we have in my whole coaching career. And there's some really cool things that you can do out of it. Like if the one-three-one, 
the other team you're playing is a really, really good team. And I mean, there are good teams and they break down your one, three, one. Well, I can easily go to a diamond and one out of it and put, you know, a defender on their best player. I can go to a triangle and two out of it. I can go to a one, three, one matchup zone out of it. So there's different uh, counters that I can do depending on the flow of the game and, and how the team's attacking us. But basically the bottom line is, is that I've tweaked it and it's ours. And, you know, I talked earlier about having an identity and, you know, one of the things besides the effort, energy, enthusiasm, every day, every play, Hamilton. And when I was at faithful Manless, we were known for a number of things, but two of the things were, God, I hate playing against her one through one. And the other thing was how the heck did they develop so many shooters? And it's because it's been an emphasis on my coaching career in my program with my coaches. This is this is who we are, and this is what we're going to do. No, I love that. I love that. Um, do you extend it? Do you run it just in a half court? How how do you run that specific one through one? Like I've run it. So I've pack. run it pack. I've run it half court. I've run it three quarter court. How do you do that? We we can run it any of those ways, but basically here's how we run it. If we score. My chaser picks up at the opposite um, foul line. And then my wing, my center, my wing run back, and they literally stand on the half-court line. And my point guard runs back. He's always the first guy back defensively, no matter where he is on offense. And he plays it um, in the middle of the top of the key. So <clears throat> we uh, go by how the uh, – because they're going to have a guard get the ball because we're not denying that pass. And then they're going to have an inbounder. They'll probably put a kid in the middle of the floor as an outlet, and they'll have a kid on each sideline as outlets. So basically what we do is we play to the other team. If their guard tries to go 100 miles an hour up the sideline and tries to beat my chaser, my chaser and my wing uh, will trap that every single time. If they are more um, you know, patient and their, their goal is just to get the ball over half court, um, you know, they're at seven seconds, eight seconds, nine seconds. They finally get it over half court. Uh, we'll just start dropping back into our base one through one. Now, I do it I do it a lot differently than other people. My chaser does not play in the middle of the court. My chaser does what the word says. He chases the ball. So he's. I've got two chasers every single game, a starting chaser and a backup chaser, and they literally, for 32 minutes, they are chasing the ball. And um, so you remember the old, I don't know that they have them anymore, but the old uh, 28 foot mark, they used to have that little hash mark um, that, yep. you know, right in front of the And when you talk about area. chaser, are you talking about the guy in the top of the one, three, one or the middle guy? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, let me, uh, let me just clarify. So everyone understands what I'm talking about. So my chaser is in the front of the defense and okay. uh, to put it in a nutshell, the chaser makes Hamilton Central's defense work. If right. he is not a good chaser, I don't play him at chaser. Right. I groom kids when they start getting to seventh and eighth and ninth grade. I start looking for long, active kids who have energy and um, are relentless. Those are the qualities that I want for my chaser. And then the second row is uh, I've got a left wing, a center, and a right wing, and then our point guard is in the back of the defense. And I'll tell you why my point guard's in the back of the defense. Um, so once the ball crosses half court, 
my chasers are already been, you know, running at the ball and then faking at the kids uh, that's coming up with the ball, say, in his right hand. He jump stops and he reverses it to the trailer. My chaser sprints and goes to the uh, trailer and he starts playing him on the side, forcing him up towards a potential trap with a chaser and a wing. And now once the ball crosses half court, our wings go as high as that 28-foot mark. Right. And yeah. then the center, the center, and I'll go to all the rules, but the center's rules are quite simple. He's got four, four jobs. First rule is he always uh, puts his toes on the three-point arc between an imaginary straight line between the ball and the basket. So he has to have some uh, concepts of what a straight line means and, you know, get his body between uh, the basket and the ball. So let's say the kid is coming up the right sideline, uh, offensive kid, and he has the ball in his right hand. My center would be uh, positioned so his toes are on the three-point arc. He has his arms out to the side. He looks like a scarecrow, and he is staying between the ball and the basket. And that's his first job. His second job is as much as he can, because I don't want him turning his head to see where the offensive high post kid is, I want my point guard to tell my center, hey, take a step to your left, take a step to your right. So he's sort of um, as hard as he can, as best as he can, keeping the ball out of the high post. His third job is anytime there's a split between the chaser. And so let's say the kid comes over half court with his right hand and the wing on that side comes up and the chaser funnels him right to the wing. And now we have our first trap and we are, High hands, we're trapping. Um, my wing, when he comes up, is playing the outside shoulder of the offensive guard there, so he can't make any kind of a direct pass to the corner. So our personnel would look like we have a trap with the chaser and the wing. My center is, is uh, between the uh, ball and the basket. Toes are on the three-point arc. My point guard is fronting anyone in the um, – low post he is above the block on but at the block he's not cheating out towards the corner yet he only goes to the corner on what i call airtime when the ball goes from the top to the corner and then my opposite wing drops and he has his rear end facing the baseline and he has one foot inside the paint and one foot outside the paint above the block now, what I tell my backside wing, because both players, both wings are going to be backside wings when the ball is reversed. I tell them, you can come up as high as you can athletically if you think that you're not going to get burned on any kind of a backdoor cut, which very seldom happens anyways. And so what if you give up one or two backdoor cuts? Right. Um, basically, he's reading the guard, the guard, the top guard to the other top guard, slot to slot, offensive pass. That's what he's basically reading. Okay. So the center's other job, and one of the most important jobs, is to attack, and I use the word attack, dribble penetration. So let's say the chaser's uh, forcing the right-handed guard towards the wing on that side, and that guard's a good player, which can happen 40 or 50 times in a game, and he's going to split. So when he splits, he's obviously going to go from his right hand to his left hand, and he's going to attack the top of the key area. My center 
has no other responsibility in life except for to attack the ball. And then my chaser and my wing are following the ball. They're digging with their inside hands to try to slap the ball to the center. And I know everyone's going to say that's crazy, but we form a three-man trap for one second. And um, we surround the, uh, uh, the guard with the ball, and we surround him. And I tell my center early in the game, if you want to foul the living crap out of that kid, you knock him down, get a foul, and then reach down and say, if you come in here again, I'm going to do the same thing to you. And that's what I literally tell my player. And so the other two players uh, that are left in the three-man trap, the point guard would take the first pass out to the left, and our backside wing would take the first pass out to the right, and now we're right back into our spots on our defense. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I, I like that. Uh, so, do you ever just gap it? Do you like to do the the chaser on top and one of the wings? You just make them lob do you not be aggressive with it and leave no, space no, no and i thought no and i'll tell you the reason why um i like this defense i've tried it a couple different ways um but the aggressive part which we've done for the last 12 or 13 years being aggressive in it i mean we've played teams that have been better than us on paper and you don't win or lose games on paper but you know you, you have to respect that and we've beaten teams that are better than us on paper just because we're aggressive in it and no one does it the way we do it. And I'll be honest with you, all the different offensive sets I've seen, it always boils down to two guards out front, a kid at the high post, and then uh, a kid in each corner. Now they may overload a side and all that stuff, but once we get into our defense, we've got all those spots covered on overloads. So let's say just for, you know, to move the defense going, we form our first trap with the chaser and the wing, and he throws the ball down to the corner. So here's the rotations. The point guard is fronting any low post player, and the guard who's being trapped out front, he, if he could ever throw the ball from out front with two guys on him in a trap to a low post player in the corner, then that guard would hear the sound, the horn, he's coming out of the game. See ya, sit down. It's not going to happen. So basically what we do on that is when the ball's in the air, the guard sprints out to the baseline corner, and he plays the ball. Now, through scouting report, I tell my point guard, the kid in the, uh, your corner in the right corner right there is a great shooter. He's not a good shooter. He's a great shooter. So you got to arrive to him on airtime, and you've got to uh, make him dribble it. You cannot play off him and give him an open. You've got to make him dribble it. Or I might say, hey, the kid in the right corner is an okay shooter, so if he shoots uh, 10 times, he might make three of them. We're going to play our – don't give him a wide-open shot, but don't go all the way out on him. Say, go ahead, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. Um, if he's a driver in the right corner, he's most likely going to drive down the baseline. So we groom our point guards to put their left foot on the baseline. Now, I'm, this is the honest truth. Uh, I had two starting point guards – 
Uh, they both were four-year starters. I went from one four-year starter, and he graduated, and then went to another freshman. I started on varsity as a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. The first point guard in four years, and he had a great college career at the University of Rochester, drew 87 charges in four years in our defense. 87 charges in four years. My second point guard, who graduated uh, two years ago, drew 93. Think about that. And that's because they want to drive baseline. On any kind, any kind of drive. I groomed my point guard, so it might be a transition. The point guard's back, and they have a two-on-one, and he plays the percentage, and he jumps in front of the ball, and he draws a charge before the kid can score or pass it. Um, any kind of uh, you know um, drive in our one-three-one, I've groomed our point guards. They have to be tough. Um, to draw charges, and we we've drawn a we drew 180 charges in um, an eight year period. Think about that. And so, what does that mean? It means that that team didn't get a basket, they didn't score two or three points, or a one shot foul shot, or whatever, and we got the ball back. And what I teach our kids to do is, anytime our point guard draws a charge, the entire team sprints over, picks them up, and then we get the ball. So that's that's part of the mentality of an aggressive one, three, one. When the ball goes to the corner, the point guard goes out. And I just got done talking about, you know, an offense will try to overload. So when the ball's in the air, my center who has had his toes on the three point arc sprints down. He doesn't look for anybody. He sprints down above and outside the paint above, uh, right on the block. And he fronts the block. He's got to do it 100 out of 100 times. Not ninety nine out of a hundred. He so doesn't. The point guard. Oh, so he's, he's got to front it. Yeah, yeah. You got to front the lot bottom. Okay, I yeah, see. Yeah. So he fronts the center fronts. The point guard's out in the corner on the ball, and now uh, my chaser sprints to the uh, ball side elbow to take away somebody from the backside flashing to the elbow, like a lot of zone offenses do. And then I do different things depending on. Um, the knowledge and athletic ability of my wings, but pretty much I give them freedom. And so when the ball goes over the wings hands to the corner, one of the teaching points that we do with our wing is he plays the outside shoulder of that offensive guard. So they can't make a direct pass. I want either a long lob pass or a bounce pass to get the ball, the corner where he has to step around the wing and throw that pass. So my point guard has time to get out there. So the wing can do a number of things. If it's a shorter pass, he can go down and trap the corner without me telling him, without me directing him. He can do it on his own, and he's never going to be right or wrong. He's just I'm leaving it up to him. If he wants to stay in what's called the halfway point, he would turn and get to the imaginary foul line extended between the elbow and the sideline, and he would stand there, and he would sort of get in the passing lane back from the corner to the guard who just threw the ball to him from the top. So he's sort of like, I use distort the passing lane. And um, if he wants to deny the outlet pass, so then once the ball goes to the corner, we're playing one-on-one in the corner with my point guard, and my wing decides, you know what? I'm going to guard this kid, quote, man-to-man, even though we're in our one-three-one, and I'm not going to let the kid get the ball back. I'm going to make him move somewhere to get the ball back we can do that because the other spots are filled right now we got our center fronting our chasers at the elbow ball side elbow and then our backside wing 
still has his rear end to the baseline, and now he moves both feet outside the paint. And here's the reason why I do that is because we've all seen kids ball watch, number one, but we've also seen backside rebounders. The first thing they do, instead of stepping back and boxing out and then going to get the ball, they always step in, and then they get pinned inside the paint, and then that long rebound goes to the offensive player. If that makes sense to you, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of that's one of the things I have found hard is the rebounding part. What? How do you deal with that? Well, you know what? This is a really good uh, point. I think you're you and you're uh, all the people that listen to this are going to like this. So uh, about twelve years ago, I said. So basically, let's say this: the shot went up from the corner. Okay, um, the point guard would take the shooter. The center, because he's fronting, I call it a fifty-fifty battle. Uh, the offensive kid is inside of him, but I've very seldom in my coaching career seen a ball fit the front part or side of the rim and then bounce right down to the offensive kid. So the center has two ways he can box out. He can leg whip uh, his left leg towards the baseline and box out that way, or he can leg whip his right leg and box out more towards the middle uh, of the paint. And then I had the, this was before I made the change. I had my uh, chaser who was at the ball side elbow would go right inside the nail hole. And then my backside wing, I put our best rebounder at the backside wing with rebound one-on-one. I said, you know what? And then the strong side wing was sort of in no man's land. He just, he really wasn't doing anything rebound. So I said, here's what we're going to do. So now on a shot from, let's say from the corner, point guard goes out, takes him. The center has a 50, 50 battle. Now I take my chaser and I send them to the backside wing on the high side of the backside wing. So now I have a double rebounders on the backside. And then I take my wing who is sort of a no man's land and I sprint him inside the, uh, uh, the nail hole. So now we have four guys rebounding idea. and it is a really good idea. We've tried it now. We've done it for 12 consecutive years and I will never change back the way I used to do it. And here's the reason. Another reason why is, we are really, really good in offensive transition from defense um, because our kids just run the lane that they're closest to. So let's say the backside wing gets the rebound while the chaser is right next to him. So instead of the chaser trailing or whatever his job is on, on uh, transition offense, he just goes to the closest lane. Well, the closest lane would be that lane he's right at. So that he'd be running down the right lane. And then I'd have um the 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 wing who was in no man's land before now he's at the nail hole once he doesn't get the rebound he'll peel out and he'll go down the left lane and then i'll have my center since he didn't get the rebound i'll have him run right down the middle of the floor and then i'll have my point guard cut across the floor and catch the ball on the run and the kid who got the rebound now becomes our trailer and it's faster it's more efficient um you get different kids in different positions and um like we we really worked on offensive transition this summer we played eight summer league games uh we went eight and oh and out of the eight games we scored 80 or more points in six out of the eight games because all we worked on was our half court one three one and runouts that's all we worked on runouts and half court one three one and so what, um, do you, so what do you I think would, is the key to the runouts? What's the key to getting the ball quickly up the court? Like what, what, for, for two, two, two things, 
run, R-U-N, run. And don't do <laughs> it you. seven yeah. out of 10 times, do it 10 out of 10 times. And then the second thing is the ability to pass the ball to open teammates. And when you're getting, you know, like say uh, 25 assists in a game and you have six guys that have between three and five assists, then you know you're passing to ball to open guys. And so I might make the first pass, but now that guy catches it, he's attacking the basket, and all of a sudden his teammate has a better passing angle to catch the ball in for a layup, and you make the second pass. When you can teach kids how to do that, and they do it unselfishly because they want to score points and they want to you know, get the ball off the floor, um, that's the key. But the first key is to literally R-U-N, run. you got to run. And um, we and really what do, and what don't they and how run. don't and how don't they do those two things? Like, how do you counter them not doing those two things? Well, it, like say for example, um, you know, we're in a summer, even though a summer league game, you know, I'm not going crazy and stuff like that. I'm just trying to concentrate on two things with our players. But you know, I'll have eight guys at a summer league game, and like say, I have two or three guys that are ball watching on a defensive rebound. So. One of the guys who doesn't get the rebound, he watches his one or two of his teammates run down the floor, and he's watching going, oh, that's a great pass, good play. So I'll bring him out of the game. I said, dude, I said, you got to run too. What happens if he misses the layup? You should have been there cleaning the offensive rebound up, putting it back in. So um, I think it's coaching. I think you've got to uh, convince your kids that, you know, you want to even play a few more minutes than normal. Then constantly run because you never know when you're going to get the ball. And if you got a kid who um, kills the ball all the time, like if he just dribbles, 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 and he never passes the ball ahead, then you either have to sit that kid down and talk to him or you have to find someone that's not going to do that. that that's, my, that's the way I think about it. I call those pee dribbles. It's like you're peeing your pants kind of thing. Don't, don't pee dribble. Yeah, um, I mean <laughs> – <laughs> well, what happens when a kid over dribbles? What, what do his teammates do? They all stare at him because they don't know what he's going to do. Right. And yes. so out of the one three one, um, the greatest thing about the one three one uh, is runouts off deflections and steals. We get so many deflections and runouts. And I'll give the, all your coaches another teaching point. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Make sure you subscribe and like. Leave a review. We love those five-star reviews. We're going to leave a one-star. You can skip to the next podcast. Also, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.